right. Well, uh, this is a privilege from you, like I said before. And uh, Eric knows, Eric knows just how informal I am. And for me, this is just uh, the way I like to 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 format these conversations is exactly that. It is a conversation we're having, something we would all do if we were at a table having a cup of coffee and uh, discussing very much uh, the subject at hand, which is Mormonism. And if there's anyone who has experience in this, it would be you, Ed. And so we want to just sit here and literally uh, pick your brain about this and see what God's done in your life, um, how he brought you out, and how he 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 redeemed you out of Mormonism, and then what you did, how God called you into ministry, and where you're at now. But there's a lot to cover and Eric and I have done, I think we did three already, right, Eric? Yep, this is, this is the fourth one in the series. Okay, so this would be number four. And to us, this is the capstone because you're on it. So before we get started, Ed, why don't you intro to everybody that's going to be watching and listening? If you want to- I don't know. But... Tell us whatever well, you I'm, want. I'm <laughs> delighted to be here. I'm, you know, pushing 88 right now. Um uh, I got long-term COVID last year, and I have a lot of serious issues that still uh, uh, have messed me up, and uh, I could be in heaven tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I yearn for heaven. I'm not in a hurry, but uh, I realize that this is a golden opportunity to express some of the things that I've learned over 65 years of Mormonism. Yeah. and Because I spent 20 years as an active member of the church. And I've spent 45 years in the ministry. Amen. Uh, and a lot of things have changed over the years with Mormonism. And a lot has changed with me. Because when my early years, I would beat people over the head with my Thompson Chain <laughs> King James Bible until I you know, cried uncle. And today I, I have more love for the lost than I've ever had. Uh, I pray for them uh, as Christ would look at them, and I try to represent his love to all these people that I've been involved in, I'm still involved in, and the pastors that call me uh, and ask for help in situations with Mormonism or Freemasonry or whatever, and, and I try to em, em, embed in them a core of love. Sure. Because if you can't love the people, you're not going to be a God's you're not going to be the Lord's witness to them if you can't love them first. Yeah. yeah and that's so right. uh, it's a good opportunity. Uh, my mind doesn't work as way it, it, as it used to. Uh, and uh, I opened up my files to, to, this morning to to uh, look at some of the areas that I want to discuss today. And I realized I had like four thousand articles in my files that I have written over the years, and some of them were really good. I was trying to update something about a week or two ago on on uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I and I, I look at this and I thought, boy, I used to be really smart. <laughs> so somewhere in my brain here, along with the blood clots and the fuzzy spots, uh, is a lot of knowledge. Yeah, and a lot of love. Yeah, I, I've had that happen where I'll read something I wrote and go, wow. That was me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? Well, listen, um, 
I know time is valuable, obviously, but uh, there's a lot that you have to bring to the table. And Eric is definitely a witness. You guys have had a beautiful relationship for I don't know how many decades. How many? Well, we, we talked. Years. We talked earlier today. It's, it's somewhere around thirty-five years. Yeah, wow. we we were uh, side by side at a Christian Workers Conference many years ago. And that's where we got to know each other. And Ed really just kind of cast the net out to Melanie and I and said, why don't you guys come to dinner with us? And there's where it really began. And we've had a great friendship. And really, he's he's been a mentor to me. And um, we've served together. We've spoken on the same stages and and uh, just appreciate the the kind of ministry that that he has and the zealousness he's got. And uh, he's he's a reflection of the the one who mentored me vicariously, Walter Martin, and he Amen. knew Walter, and they did things together. And folks, if you have a chance to see uh, dialogue on the doorstep with Walter Martin and Ed Decker, <laughs> man, you want to see that. Uh, there is some uh, terrific insight there, and they're funny, but at the same token, very serious. Yeah, and you know what? You just said something that really caught my attention. You said that you've changed, right? Obviously, we all change in the years through life but you said something that went along the lines of mormonism has changed throughout the years mm -hmm. and uh one one thing that i want to make sure that people understand is how god our lord and savior jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and he not he does not change the word of god does not change and that's something that as believers in jesus christ we could take that to the bank right right okay so I really want to dive into the nitty gritty. So talk to us. I'll just give you free reign unless Eric, you want to jump in, but uh, go ahead. I, I, I want to say this. So uh, when you get down to it, doctrinally Mormonism hasn't changed. They just want the appearance of who they are to change to the world because they want to look like a more enlightened denomination. But when you dig down through it, you see they really haven't changed. And, uh, you know, even their prophet, seer and revelator Hinckley, before he passed away, made that statement to a, a large gathering of missionaries in France that even though the world thought they had changed, that they really hadn't changed. So, yeah, they've changed on the surface, but that's as far as it went. That's good. That's good. OK, so, Ed, tell us, walk us through how it was that you came into uh, Mormonism, your time as a Mormon, and then how God brought you out of that? Well, I thought I had arrived when I became a Mormon. I, I uh, dated a Mormon girl, ended up marrying the Mormon girl, and uh, slid into Mormonism when I was 20. Uh, I stayed in it for almost 20 more years. I came out when I was 39. Uh, I... Uh, I really uh, got involved with Mormonism because of fellowship. My wife and I were, I was a, uh, a secretary at a YMCA in Southern New Jersey, and uh, we were very lonely. We didn't know anybody there. And then the Mormons found her and found me. And I, uh, there was a lot of love and a lot of, a lot of casseroles and, you know, <laughs> backpacks and things like that. And, and, and I, I remember uh, joining the church and getting baptized and filled with the Mormon Holy Ghost and all that sort of stuff. And I immediately uh, uh, was given assignments to visit families and do all the, 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 the little, the little uh, simple stuff for a new convert. Uh, I remember being asked to speak at a general conference uh, uh, in the, uh, an area conference, I guess we called it a state conference, but we were in a mission field 
And so uh, people from the, all major areas came to that. And I stood up in the podium and I you know, was introduced and I said, you know, I, the thing I love more about Mormonism, and this was supposed to be a joke. I said, the thing that I love mostly about Mormon is the great humility I have now. <laughs> and, and everybody in the audience said, yes, yes, the great humility. And I, and I thought, I should have left then. Okay. <laughs> because uh, that's what they talked about. And, you know, so I served in the local capacity as I was in a bishopric. I did, I did all the, I, I did the gospel doctrine classes. I taught uh, a tremendous amount. Uh, did a lot of counseling, uh, uh, visited. I was at one time was given a job of, you know, digging up non-active Mormon men and trying to get them back in a church. And uh, I liked the people. I never dwelt heavily upon uh, some of the darker doctrines. Uh, I went through the temple. My wife and I were married in a temple. Uh, I understood the temple and because I came from a Masonic background in my family uh, for many generations, I, I uh, it didn't bother me some of the stuff in the temple because it was Masonic. And, and um, then we moved up to the Seattle area and we had, Carol and I, and uh, we had a baby boy named Jason who was born with some uh, some defects. And I cursed God the night he was born. And I, I cursed God and cursed God and cursed God uh, because I had taught as a Mormon that when you're good, um, let's say you're on a scale of one to 10, you're at a five. Uh, God will bless you to the five, but if you commit sin, it will deduct the five and put a curse upon you, upon you and your children and your children's children for four generations. And and uh, I understood that it's the it was the doctrine of cursing and blessing. When you're good, you're really good, and when you're not good, you're bad, and you you pick up curses and and. Uh, not the average Mormon thinks about that, but I did. And, and so I decided that my son was born physically impaired uh, because I hadn't been righteous enough. Hmm. Um, really comes back to the doctrine of works, doesn't it, Ed? Yeah. And so um, in the meantime, God woke up a woman in Seattle who worked for my wife, who was a, a, a spiritual Christian lady. And she had been praying for me and my wife. And she woke up in the night that Jason was born. And she she uh, received from the Lord a note that something happened with the birth. And she needed to go to the hospital. And she went to the hospital. And she, my wife was already a, a, a Christian. She, you know, uh, had, had become a, you know, had done the whole thing at the altar with the Baptist back when she was a kid. And. So God never left her. Right. And um, this lady shared with her that God blessed us with this child and not cursed us. And so uh, when I went to see my wife the next morning, after I had to stop off and see the, 
uh, the uh, doctor because he said that uh, I was acting like an idiot. And um, he was a Christian doctor and he called me to repentance. And I went to the hospital and I went in and I said to Carol, I don't know why God did this, did this to us. And she, she said, God blessed us. And she shared with me how God had blessed us. And she had a book that her friend had left with her. And it was called uh, From Prison of Praise or something like that. It was a Carruthers, yeah. Carruthers book. Merlin Carruthers. Yep. Yeah. And and uh, so I she said, read this, Ed. God can bless us in anything. And he's going to bless us with this child. He, he could have been born on a, you know, in a place where they would have aborted him or they would have yeah. killed him, you know, put him out on a riverbank for the crocs to eat and and we can we have the money we have the resource we can do anything in the world for him uh i'm going to interject jay jason is 48 or 49 years old uh 48 and uh he's a man of god um he's taken over the ministry of saints alive um he has led more people to the lord and uh he he goes after the hurting and he goes after the lost and he goes after you know, someone gets picked up for uh, soliciting a prostitute and and uh, Jason will go down to the to the jail and talk to the guy and get him out. And then he and his wife will minister to the couple. I uh, he, he restores men Amen. that are broken and that's his real ministry. But he's 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 keen on me and he knows when I'm good. And he knows when I'm bad uh, and he knows when to. Uh, you know, when it just called me and I'm going through a rough time and they say, hey, the Lord just put you on my mind and he'll pray for me. He'll correct me. I think we Man, and then... he, he may we have froze. froze. Yeah, he yeah. may have froze. So there you go. You came back. You're back. You know, I got, I got to say about Jason, though, um, I've known him since he was a, a teenager and uh, he's a solid guy. And to hear some of the things he's done. And the way he's picked up the mantle of the ministry and carried on uh, is just terrific to see. And I know, I know how proud you are of him in a in a human way, but especially in a spiritual way. Amen. Yeah, and you know, my other son uh, Joshua, he he does a lot of the technical stuff, and his wife does the day to day uh, office management for us. And so my whole family has been supportive of it of the ministry of all these years that have been rough times, as you know, uh, good and bad and ugly. And sometimes the ugly comes from other Christian missions, missions groups. Oh yeah. And, and uh, you're too bold, Ed, you're too this, you're too that, you know, uh, you're walking down the street, dragging across, you know, uh, around the Met temple in Salt Lake city. Why are you doing that? That's offending people. You're too offensive. Well, God set me on fire and he sent me to Utah and into the Mormons to set the fields on fire with foxes with their tails lit. And Damn that sense. was my mission. And yeah. I shook the whole place up. So, okay. So at what point did you say, did you realize God called you out of the Mormon church? Well, I, I my wife wanted us to go to a little neighborhood church after Jason was born. And Jason was born without ears. That was a major problem. He, he hears very well, but he also lip reads, which is dangerous. And um, <laughs> so, so he he uh, he was the catalyst 
And uh, Carol began to ask me to go to this Christian church. And so we had a deal. One week we go to the Mormon church and one week we go to the Christian church. One week to the Mormon church and one week to the Christian church. And and the Christian church had had uh, meetings on Wednesday night. That's when you had 13 meetings a week. Yeah. In, oh, yeah. in the church and and uh uh one day we're coming out of a fast and testimony meeting it was in january 1975 and uh we were coming out of the fast and testimony meeting where every, all the mormons get up and testify that they know the church is true that joseph smith's a prophet of god the book of mormons the word of god uh the bible you know, i mean it's all this stuff that they do it's, it's an indoctrinational system that reinforces your beliefs, even if you don't believe it, you're saying you believe it and everybody else is saying it. So you become it. Yeah. And, and uh, so we got out, we're heading to the car and my wife said, you know, that was a interesting meeting. Uh, uh, was, something was terribly wrong there though. And I said to my wife, still with the Mormon garbage in me, I said, uh, that was a wonderful meeting. Some of the people even cried. She said they could cry all they want, but there was something missing. And um, I wasn't going to ask her what was missing, but the tension and the pressure between the time that she mentioned that and the time that we got to the car, I finally just said, because it was just a look in her eyes, said, okay, what was missing? And she said, nobody mentioned Jesus. Hmm. They talked about the prophet. They talked about the, uh, talked about the bishop. They talked about the where, you know, the welfare program. They talked about relief society. All these things that they were doing, but they never mentioned Jesus. And it was like a knife stuck in my head. And I knew I was in trouble. And then we got to home. Uh, that was Sunday morning. I was very uh, set away from my wife all afternoon. And she said, let's go, uh, let's go to the neighborhood church tonight. They got a great, you know, they got a great service, you know, well, I can't, I'd love to go. And I said, I'm not going. And uh, a voice in my head said, you better go, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I had been going there. Uh, I didn't like the people. They were huggy type people. We Mormons didn't touch like that. And uh, so I went there and I remember hearing, I, I, I think the pastor had a had two messages every week. And he kept one that was the Ed Decker message <laughs> whenever I showed up. Because it was like these needles sticking me in the head all over me as I'm trying to rationalize my, you know, my background and I love the Lord. I really did. And, uh, at a certain point in time, they did communion and then the communion, it was two old, old guys preparing the communion instead of, uh, 11 year old kids. Yeah. And they actually had uh, juice representing the wine and, 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 uh, uh, unleavened bread instead of water and, 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 uh wonder bread that we had in the mormon church and because they didn't use the blood because they in the actuality looking back they can't deal with the blood and so the the stuff was passed down the aisles and i was in the front row i had always sat i never sat anywhere else except the first time that we were there uh, but i sat in the front row in my seat and nobody ever 
would sit in my seat because that was my seat. And and uh, they knew better not to. Yeah, they did. But <laughs> next thing I knew, I was holding the the uh, red juice and 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 the little wafer in my hand, and my wife and I said to my wife, um, "I can't take this. this. Is Gentile? You know, this is evil. You know, I can't take this. Uh, this this is going to." You know, I'm a Melchizedek priest. I can't take this stuff right. in this in this Gentile uh, uh, false religion sure. church. Sure. And my wife uh, smiled at me. She said, "Just shut up and take it." <laughs> like you, you love Jesus, like a good wife, <laughs> Pablo. You you don't know his wife. I do, and I can just hear her saying it. I can hear it right now. Anyway, I took it, and that's. Took the juice. It was like I knew I was going to hell. I knew I was a sinner. You got to remember, uh, back when I was a kid, I was an acolyte in the uh, in the Anglican Church. It was a high church. We, we had everything but the Pope, you know. And we were, you know, I, I was there every Sunday doing the Eucharist. And and uh, I was I was as I took the juice, I knew. I knew that I was lost. I knew that I that I had been deceived. I knew it just all came to me, and I ran up to the altar area, the steps going up to the podium area, and I just laid there weeping and um, said the sinner's prayer. And I remember it. I said, "Lord God, take me. You know, I'm a sinner of the worst kind. Not, you know, I'm I'm mean, really a sinner, God, and I and 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 I need you to." come into me and clean me out and, and, and fill me with your Holy spirit and get rid of all this junk in me and let me be with you and the word. And, and let me, let me be yours, just be yours. And, and uh, I felt a ton of dark things. The only other experience I had was that when I had bad cataracts and they were removing him and there were all these things flying off me, these little dark specks from the cataracts. And, and, uh, I, I knew that that was the same thing, that same darkness was coming off of me. And I stood up, hugged people. That's great. <laughs> Drove to church, went to work the next day with my elbows because I couldn't get my hands in the air. And then I went back to the church the next Sunday to the priesthood <laughs> meeting. And I said, praise God, fellas, Jesus has set me free. I, I you know, I'm, I'm filled with the love of Jesus. And, I, you know, and they, they set me free pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> and then people that I knew were Mormons asking, "What happened to you?" They're talking about you like you're a son of perdition. I said, "I just found the real Jesus," Amen. and then I began going around and speaking uh, at Bible studies and anybody that would hear. And I began leading some of my Mormon friends to the Lord, and and I was so busy with that that I finally had to come to a decision. I was a vice president of a large corporation and, uh, and, you know, in the, in the, having good money and good reputation. And I just walked out and my wife and I had been in a ministry that we never knew what the paycheck would be. We, we gave up all of our stock and all the money that we had has all gone into the ministry. Uh, and we lack for nothing. 
and my son, even when he was a child, was leading people to Jesus and dragging me through the supermarket to pray for people and that he was a he was meeting and I've seen miracles in this young man's hand and he'd go on the mission field with us in Utah for the summer and he'd have people lined up in front of him, make them get in line because that's what they did in preschool. And uh, and he'd hand out to Marone with loves, you know, at at the at the fairs and at the parades and you know, which which uh, by the way is a little booklet that Ed wrote called "To Moroni with Love," which is uh, priceless. Yeah, about several million copies out there yeah. somewhere. Wow, that's that's amazing. Anyway, that was me, and then you know, I just uh, oh, let me just add one more thing. The man that was doing the adult Bible study or the class uh, at the little church hand me a book and said, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. Will you teach this book? Uh, and it was called the kingdom of the cults by Walter Martin. <laughs> and there's an, there's a chapter in here on Mormonism and I'd like you to teach it. Well, I read that chapter when I got home and my, it was steam coming out of my ears. I couldn't handle it. Uh, I said, this man's a liar. <laughs> and because I could afford it, I went to Utah and I looked up every single one of the references in there, and they were all true. Wow. That's when it changed. And I realized that I need to share the love of Jesus with the Mormon people. Who go, you know, a, a Nehemiah type moment, you know, where I've got to go to my people. Yeah. And I've been going to my people all these years. Wow. And they, you know, they just said, uh, the caravan moves on slowly and the nipping dogs keep the try to slow us down. And then they interviewed one of the Mormon apostles uh, in, uh, in Denver, the Denver paper. And they asked him about our move. And he said, well, we've never come across people like him and them because th they're different, you know. They're not, they're not arguing. They're, they're trying to bring us to a different Jesus. Hmm. And that's what I've been doing. And um, as far as I'm concerned, that's been the goal of my life Amen. is to tell people about Jesus. Amen. You know, I, <laughs> now let me share about something that I wanted to share about. Yeah, please do. I was asked to come up with a couple of moments of my ministry that I have had an impact on my life. Sure. And we know all the ones with with Walter and I had some of the funniest experiences with Walter Martin overseas when the police came and the army came and, and was pointing guns at us. And, you know, when I was wearing my temple clothes in front of a Mormon temple in South America. And, uh, but um, I was in Ogden, Utah. Actually, I think it was in Clearfield, Utah, many years ago. And I was speaking at like a, uh, a, a spirit-filled, I, I want to say this right, but not offending anybody, but it was a different Baptist church. The music was a little bit different, and, and the love and the gathering, there was something happening in that local church. And they had promoted me as speaking about the errors in the Book of Mormon, and I showed up there at the church, and I stood up at the with my notes at the podium 
And I started to speak and God said, no, that's, I, that's not here. You tell them about your, your loss, how you were in the church and kind of what we just did now, except I spent 40 minutes doing it there. And I had an altar call at the end and there was a podium that was only about six, eight inches uh, platform in front of the podium there. And um, some people were coming forward to get saved. And this one man came and he was like six foot eight, six foot nine. And he was an old guy, probably 10 or 15 years younger than I am now. And, and he, and he had white, huge shock of white hair. I later found out that he was a temple worker at the Ogden temple. And this man, he was crying and he had his hands up and he was saying, Oh, the joy, the joy. Oh, the joy. And I put my hands up onto his face and the tears were running down through my fingers. And, and, and I said to him, if I never leave another person to the Lord and all the rest of my lifetime, you are worth it. Amen. You are worth it. And God spoke to me uh, and said, so are you. And, and I just wept and wept and wept. It broke me. It broke me. Go ahead a couple of years. Last year, I was in and out of the hospital a few times. And um, I was trying to be God's witness in the hospital. And they came into my room and uh, I, I had thought I was dying. I actually, that was the time that I was at the doctor's uh, room and uh and, and uh, I was on the table and my son, Jeff, uh, Joshua, who was with me, who is with me with all my doctor visits and his mom's too. Um, he was standing next to me and I suddenly said to him, I'm dying, son. Tell everybody I love them. Mm -hmm. And I fell off the table head first saying, Jesus, as I was falling. My son grabbed me before I hit the floor and held me in his arms for 45 minutes. Uh, it was an unbelievable thing. I was paralyzed and I went, they took me into the ER and I was paralyzed and I was laying there, not able to move, not able to speak. And they were having the bells ringing and everybody running to keep me alive and, and, uh, Nobody knew what was happening, but I could move a couple of fingers in my left hand. And I just moved this couple of fingers. And my son saw it and he came over and grabbed me and prayed over me. I felt the heat run through me in waves, run through me in waves. And, and uh, suddenly I had my feeling back and I could move. I mean, God healed me there. And I didn't, I, you know, I didn't uh, let that go unnoticed. And I told everybody that came to my room after that about how God did it. Did it. And when they came into the room, uh, they said, what is your first name? And I said, well, my first name is John, John Edwards. He said, okay. They did that every time they came in, which was often. And I, and I said, why are you doing that? Why are you asking for my first name? And they said, well, they have, we have another Decker in this uh in this uh, emergency, you know, ICU area. 
uh, whose name is Decker. And we want to be sure we got the right Decker. And I said, well, what's the other Decker's name? And they said, Jeffrey. I said, I have a son named Jeffrey. Well, he is in there with terminal cancer. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, I, I didn't know it. And so I told him to go get my son. And it was in the evening and Jeff came in and we loved each other. We laughed about the fact that we were both in the, you know, the rooms across the hall from each other. And, and, uh, and that God was with us and it was wonderful. And as he was leaving, uh, the, the uh, male nurse came in, he was from Spain and a really great guy. And he, he, he came in and said, we got to do some stuff, test with your dad, you better go back to your room. So as he was leaving the room, the, the, the room I said, Jay, uh, Jeff, I love you, son. You know, I love you more than all the other kids. Of course, I've got eight kids. <laughs> That I love you all more than any of my other kids. And he laughed and he said, Dad, you say that to every one of us. And I said, Well, I love you that way. I love each of you more than everybody else. And he laughed and he went out. And the nurse was standing there watching us. And he had this funny look in his face. And I turned to him and I I kind of touched his chest and I said, That's how God loves you. God knew your name when Jesus was on the cross. He knew your name and he died for you. He loved you more than all the other people in the world. He loved you just the way I love my kids. I love each one of them more than the rest. And he loves you that way. And this young man fell on his face before God, weeping and crying, broke down. From that day on until I got out of the hospital, we had prayer meetings where, where <laughs> nurses, and aides from all around the floor would come into my room at two o'clock in the morning we were having prayer time and that's the power of god Amen. that's the way god works and i've been trying over the years to 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 make that the focus of my ministry what's left of my years is to transcend the doctrine and all the other garbage and just talk about the cross and Jesus crucified and our salvation. Uh, and it's turned into some great witnessing experiences. And there are ways to witness to them. There are, there are ways, trial and error. And sometimes we'd have big rallies in Utah and we'd have, we'd have hundreds of Mormons coming up to get saved. Hundreds thousands tens of thousands over the years stop counting and um but you got to know what you're doing before you can really witness to somebody who's in spiritual darkness you got to realize that these people are these people are uh deceived their souls have been conquered they are lost and there is a wall between you and them that's been set up by whatever organization false doctrinal place they're they're sitting down on sundays and i just have to tell you that uh we can break through that wall but one of the ways to break through it is through prayer 
I never go into a witnessing time. I never go into a counseling time without praying first and asking God to, to, to speak through me and give me the words. And many, many times I'd be in a place where I was talking to the, uh, the, the uh, missionary president of the mission in like in Spokane at one time. And, and we were talking about, he was sharing about the beautiful buildings that they had. He was talking about all that. And I said, yeah, but God finds you at fault. He said, no, he doesn't. He loves us. I said, no, go to, we, I want you to go to Hosea one. He said, I, I look at your massive buildings and all these things, but I have you, I, I find you at fault. And those things have happened to me over and over and over again, where God will give me the scripture. But hey, there's a thing here. You got to have the scripture in you before you can get it out. Yeah. That means you got to live in your Bible. Yeah, that's right. My first year or so of being saved, I spent hours, hours a day in the Bible. Sometimes I'd go into the bathroom so I wouldn't bother Carol, and I'd read the Bible for two or three hours because I couldn't sleep. And God would wake me up in the middle of the night and bring a scripture to me. And I'd get up and I'd go into my study and write it down and, and, and do something that God wanted me to do with it. So that's me. I've been doing it for 45 years. Uh, I've been spit on, poisoned, punched, shot at. Uh, you know, over and over again, my life has been threatened and, and actually... Uh, attempts on my life, as Eric knows. Um, had, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, they said, pastor, I, I've been a pastor for a number of years. I'm not now, I'm retired. But they said, Pastor Ed, um, what do you believe about, about the rapture? Do you believe in pre-rapture, post-rapture, mid-rapture, mid-rapture? You know, what do you believe? I said, well, I think rapture's a great idea. I can't wait to go if that's what it is. But but if I'm going up into the sky, realize people down in down in New Zealand are going in a different direction. I said, you know, uh, I haven't got all, it's above my pay scale. I don't know some of these things. I said, but the key to it is, is fellowship with God through Christ. If you're in fellowship and God is in you, you know, it, it's not me that lives, but God that lives through me in Galatians 2.20. Uh, I said, I have fellowship with God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I pass away today. I yearn for heaven. But if I'm here and it's post-trib rapture and I have to go through seven years of terrible stuff, or if, I, if they take me out to a field and chop off my head, it doesn't matter because I'm already his I'm already in heaven. Nobody can take that away from me. I know where I'm going. And they just said, well, so you're not worried? I said, no. I, I when, when I was checking out of the hospital last time this year from the COVID stuff, uh, the doctor said to me as she was preparing me to get dismissed, you know, getting the paperwork done. And she said, well, what are you looking forward to, Ed? And I said, heaven. Yeah. I, she said, what do you mean? I said, heaven. Well, how do you get to heaven? Well, you die and you go to heaven. And, and she said, you want to die? I said, I'm not afraid of it. I hope I look forward to it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Will I go here 
or I go at home tonight. It doesn't really matter. I look forward to it because it's it's everything for the rest of my eternity. Yeah. And she said, stay here. They canceled my leaving the, the hospital and brought in the psychiatrist and the psychologist <laughs> yeah. who said that I yep. had a death wish. And um, are you going to kill yourself? I said, no, I'm not going to kill myself. You know, uh, some of the medications I've been going through will probably kill me. And this COVID might get me. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick around. But, yeah, I look forward to heaven. And these people could not, could not understand that. They could only look at it. And we're going to give you some medication and some counseling, mm. yep. you know, and I, I got a lady that I had, it was something I had to do because of my insurance. And I was talking to this lady who was my counselor. I was telling you that she was in swim and I was, I thought I had to drive to swim to talk to her. You live about what? Two hour drive away. Go ahead. Yeah. So the point of it was, was that after the first visit, uh, she was, talking about love and talking about Jesus and, and, and I changed her from a secular uh, psychologist to a, a psychologist who loved the Lord. And that's what you have to be. I mean, and with, with Mormons, they, when early years, when we left and we still had, we still had a lot of, uh, I'm getting messages on my phone here. It's okay. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I've got you back. Um, I want to talk about witnessing. Um, wait, years wait, and years ago, wait, I got a pamphlet Ed, from... Uh, Ed, Ed, hang on real quick. Because Eric knows this of me. Rarely am I this quiet throughout an entire interview. Okay. Pablo, I'm, you know, this about me too. I, I'm not this quiet. <laughs> uh, Ed, I got to tell you something before we get lost in time. Uh, when I called you a, a few days ago and asked you to do this, I had in my mind the story I'd heard a long time ago, and I don't know when. But I heard a story about a tall, white-haired man that came to the altar. Yeah. So if people want to know why I was emotional a few minutes ago and why I'm emotional right now, it's because you brought that story up. And I was going to ask you to tell that today. And I didn't say it today when I talked to you earlier. I didn't say it a few days ago. But God knew. Yep. I was going to say that. My well, there are things you remember. Well, my reason for having you on was to talk about Mormonism. And we could do that for hours on end. But I love the way God works. Because I think people need to understand the extent of God's love for each one of us. And if people get anything out of this podcast, out of this 
um, this sit down that we have is what God, the lengths that God will go to, to, to embrace us because he loves us so much. I'll be the first one to say I've, I've had moments where I've come to understand God's deep love for me. Far and few are those times where I could really sit down and, and, and really understand, try and understand what God's love means. And as I'm listening to you, Talk about what God did in your life and the impact that he had in, in your life because you surrendered completely to him. It's, it, it's, a, it's a reminder to me, and as you were talking about that gentleman and how, you know, you cupped his, his face as you reached up, to me that's such a beautiful word picture of what the Lord does for us. Yeah. And I know I, I get caught up in the busyness of life and it's, it's a reminder to me how the Lord will steady us, how the Lord will slow us down just enough so that we could see how much he loves us and how much he'll take our face in his hand, wipe the tears, because God knows what everybody's going through. I don't. God does. He knows the hurts. He knows the pains. He knows the deception that some people are living in. But God can see and break through any barrier. And that's one thing that I want people to understand as they're listening to you, is that for God, he could meet you at any point in anybody's life, no matter where you're at, no matter how deep that pit of despair is, God is there and he loves us. He'll even drop a Gideon Bible on your chest. <laughs> yeah, he he will. He meets us in ways that we can never understand. One thing that you said, and I want to make sure that Maybe we could cover this, and and I'll be honest. If we if we end on this note, this whole this whole conversation will be well worth it. This will probably be the best show podcast conversation that I've ever had. I was thinking the same thing a minute ago. You and I have never been like we are right now. No, in our in our time that we've known each other. Listen, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt as I'm looking and I'm surveying the world around us, that God is, is coming for his church. That's, that's my belief. Now, even if I leave that aside, I could also look at the world around us and I could see a lot of hurt. I see a lot of pain. The, the demonic activity has ramped up in ways that I've never seen it before. But God loves each and every individual. And I would hope and pray that whoever's going to be watching this, Ed, I would love for you to speak to them. 
about the love that you felt that Jesus Christ showered you with so many decades ago and has stayed with you faithfully. The Lord has stayed with you faithfully all these years. I want you to talk to people and I want you to share with them how it how can they experience that wonderful love that covers over a multitude of sins that I know myself. The Lord's covered over my life. And he's constantly gracious and he's constantly forgiving. How could people how could people come to know such a beautiful God that we serve? Well, I want to tell you that in the 45 years that I've been ministering, I've shared the tears with hundreds, if not thousands of people. I've sat on the gutter, you know, in a dirty street with a homeless person praying with them. And usually in Salt Lake City, my son, when we go, when we did go, he'd be in the back alleys while we were on the streets and he'd bring these people to me. And I remember waking up to his knocking at the door of our, of our uh, suite that we were in at the hotel and, and uh, saying, dad, I, I need you to come down to the parking garage. There's some people I need you to be with. And I go down there to be 15 or 20 of lost souls down there that he gathered up and we pray for them and love on them and and uh we change lives in those moments and uh it's got to be the cross Amen. it all centers on the cross and when they when the mormons take down the cross and they refuse to even have it on as as, as a necklace item or something like that they deny the cross and the power thereof yeah yeah and that should be enough that's just to condemn them all to hell nice doesn't bring you into heaven yeah tithing doesn't bring you into heaven good works doesn't you know mowing the neighbor's lawn doesn't bring you to heaven the only thing that will bring you to heaven is jesus and he said i am the way the truth and light and no one comes to the father but by me amen 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 you know they asked billy graham once um later in life if he could go back and change anything in his ministry of what he would preach about anything and he said i would preach more about the blood of jesus christ and the cross yeah the blood. It's the thing that saved me was the blood. Yeah. That broke me down. Yeah. The and blood of Christ was shed for you and each and every person. He knew us by our names. And I look at that, well, 65 million babies murdered in the United States so that women could have a choice. A choice to murder another human being. The weeping that God must be doing. When scenes like at the Grammys just recently when they had a satanic. Yep. <laughs> a 
whole section on Satanism flaunting it in the face of the country. Yeah. yeah. And people yeah. stood up and cheered. We're, we are in sin as a nation. And the things that we grumble about in our nation are caused by us walking away in the Christian church, trying to align itself with the world so that they can have more money and more, you know, I, I, I saw an article about a, a, a pastor whose name I won't mention that his income was 1.5 to 1.7 million dollars, his own income a year. How many hungry people could we feed? How many missionaries could we support? How many people could we uh, educate? How many Bible students who want to go in the in the in the third world countries who want to get educated? Could I do with a million dollars? People talk about I got rich on the Godmakers. Well, yeah, I probably saw five hundred thousand dollars in income from the book, The Godmakers. You want to know where it went? Right out the door. All my all my earnings and those things went to the ministry. And we never, ever looked at it as our money. It was God's money. Amen. Every penny that came in. I pray, I still pray, even though I'm not getting the documents anymore that I used to get. And Jason gets them and he calls these people. People will write in and ask for prayer. Uh, I had a box full of them and I'd pray over it. Pray over it. Pray over it. Pray for these people. Sometimes I, I would have Mormon missionaries in the house for dinner and I'd pray over them. And I'd say, I'm going to ask the God above all gods, all gods, the God above all gods, to touch your life and bless you. I, I, I was meeting, there was a time when the church and I were looking at a reconciliation. And I met with a number of levels of people until finally a leader from the, the, the church said, we can't deal with your truth anymore. <laughs> Leave us alone. But my the bishop in the, in the ward, if I were a Mormon, this is where I'd be. And I asked if I could have a meeting with him. And we sat there and first he had me so far away. And then I just took my chair and moved it up, touched knee to knee to him. And began talking to him. Tears were coming down his eyes. Uh, and he was heading out from that meeting to go to Spokane for a for a business meeting. And I and I uh, I took him by his hands. And again, that's stuff you don't do in Mormonism. And I held him by his hands. And I and I just prayed that God would prosper him. A couple of years later, I was at a Mormon meeting in a Mormon chapel where they had an open house and a man got up and he came over to me and said, you prayed for my son, the Bishop. It had an impact. Today, the Mormon church has lost members in the United States, particularly uh, for the last 10 years, they had negative numbers. Almost 3 million people have left the Mormon church in the last 10 years. And uh, today you go online and you put in Mormonism and you'll get a thousand websites of people who have left the church people who who've been in the church since their families pulled hand carts across the country to be in utah 
people who have been in the church and leadership, when they discovered that the Mormon church leaders had a hundred billion, not million, billion dollars siphoned out of the tithes to support their business enterprises. In Seattle, they just bought a they bought a, a, a industrial complex down in in the valley there, uh, Cantor, Auburn, or whatever that is in that area there. They just bought a, a huge piece of property with buildings on it for two hundred and sixty million dollars. And a Mormon said, "What to me? That's it. They have taken tithing money to meant to, and and in that same time period, they I think someone said that it was like five million dollars that went." to help people there's no there's no uh homes for the homeless there's no there's no places for unwed mothers there's none of these things right now they they're hiding <clears throat> their corruption that's being revealed and people who have been in the church for years like i said have just left the entire three generations have walked away from the church that's what's happening it's crumbling because of its own sin that they hid from their own members even, that the leaders are deceitful men. And Isaiah, somewhere 16, I think, says, uh, the leaders of them shall cause them to err, and those that are led of them are destroyed. They're being destroyed by liars and deceivers and evil men. And that's just not the Mormons. It's it's our own carnal natures. Yeah. That we yeah. try to... You know, we try to overcome. And 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 uh, during a really rough time in his life, being disobedient to God, uh, David cried out to God. He said, "Oh, come into me, cleanse me, renew in me a clean heart." Yeah. And I remember just a month or two ago, I was sitting out on the patio, and I just, I just went into a place where I just gave everything to God. And I, I laid, I sat there in the chair for an hour and the Holy Spirit just washed over me and washed over me and washed over me. And I just said, God, just use me. I know I'm old, you know, uh, everything I do is in single digits now. You know, <laughs> everything I buy is gonna outlive me. You know, it's, it's, it's just the way it is in the world. And I rejoice that I've reached this age and, and can still love my wife. And, and, and be, my wife's had medical issues and I've been her caregiver. And then now she's been her, the last year she's been my caregiver because I was so ill. I laid in bed for weeks at a time without being able to move. And I remember a prophecy someone gave to me years ago and said, your ministry and in your old age will be greater than your your ministry now. I thought, wow, that's going to be something. And I was going, had the key, and I was going into my church. We only had maybe 150 people. And I kind of chuckled, and I said to God, I said, so is this the great ministry you had lined up for me? <laughs> and he said, who said anything about numbers? And it broke my heart. Yeah. And I went into the office and wept, you know, God, oh God, oh God. And so I just want to be in that place where I'm touching God, even as I travel into the, into the stores and uh, 
places I, God sends me to somebody and I'll walk up to them. And, you know, back home, uh, before we, uh, moved down to the desert, I, I was, uh, I was in a, uh, a, a place where I was witnessing to people and praying for people. I, I had been in, in a, in a checkout line and the woman in front of me was pouring out her heart to the checker lady and I just walked up and said I'm a pastor and we're not going to let this go by we're going to pray from that moment on every time I went to that supermarket somebody would say pastor Ed pastor Ed there's a there's somebody here that needs prayer lady in the in the meat department her daughter's on drugs she doesn't know what to do I got a phone call Actually, Jason did, and then we moved it around, and I spoke to a pastor in a Southern Baptist church in uh, South Carolina last week. And uh, he said, I've only been in this church for four months. He said, uh, we had a funeral for one of the members. It was a deacon, and they had a Masonic funeral. And I'm watching these men with their feathers and all their garb paraphernalia and stuff marching down the aisle with their different hats and aprons and stuff and and these are my deacons and they're my sunday school teachers and they're the men in the church wow he said i i i don't know what to do uh should i confront you know i want to confront them uh i i spoke about it to to, to a, a mason member of the church and he said you better leave that stuff alone don't you dare get involved with this Meaning, don't you dare speak out against Freemasonry. And I said, you go back in that church and you look at them and see them through Jesus's eyes. They're lost. And you can bring them into the kingdom. But you're going to first love them the way Jesus loved. Love them so that you're crying. Well, he was crying when we were praying. But that's the way we have to be. Beating people over the head. The Mormons know that's garbage that they're spewing out. They know they're not going to become gods. They know they're not worthy. Every There's not a Mormon alive that believes he actually is going to become a god unless some psychopath or sociopath uh, believes it. I never believed it. I was just going to settle for the second kingdom, which was Jesus would be in that and the Presbyterians and stuff, you know. But uh, I wasn't going to go to the big the big hunk of there where I'd go up to the special king and they give him any goddess wives and become a, a king and a priest and a, and a God of my own. They know it's a lie. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're eating away their own belly with trying to do corrective measures to hide stuff. And their people now are on them. Well, I'm prattled along. I just want you to know if you're listening to this or watching this, you've got to know something. God is real. If you don't believe he's real, go look at a baby. Mm. Okay. And tell me God isn't real. You need to face the fact that God is real. And it's we who have to change. God is not going to become a man like you and me. God is not going to do away with repentance that he seeks correction that he gives god's not going to do that you are going to get on your knees before god and say god i don't know what's going on here but you show me show me god open the door to me so that i can see you for the first time and he'll show you 
Amen. And and it I, thousand thousand times. Amen. Amen. Would you Amen. mind? Um, would you mind actually closing us out in prayer? I think this. Would I sure be will. Apropos time for it. Oh, Father God, we come before you. The three of us are just men who know you, and love you, Lord God, and love the lost. But I, I ask you, Lord God, to touch the hearts of every person watching this session and, and, and touch their hearts. Break them down, God. Bring a weeping spirit upon them. Take them, God, to the throne. Take them to your throne and show them Jesus, his hands. Show them cru Jesus crucified. See the blood that was shed. We don't do heifers and doves and animals anymore to show their blood we have your blood and we look through your blood and your love and your connection with us at the rest of the world let us be let us be a witness of you in everything we do in jesus name amen yes amen i gotta add something to it. i I, I think i told uh, eric a while ago that i had joined the the uh uh, Eagles Club here, which is just down the street from where I live in, C in the Seattle area. And uh, I went in there and um, Eric said, oh, Ed, you, you know, that's well, first off, they had an initiation, which just ask each man to commit to being a, 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 a good husband, a good father, a good son, uh, and to be to be a, 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 a man blesses his neighbors and stuff like that. And I said, okay, I can do that. And then when I go in there, the next thing I know, people are coming up to me. And they says, Brother Ed, I've got this problem. And suddenly I became, I became their pastor. People who hadn't heard about Christ and a lot of old guys in these groups, you know. Uh, uh, I think they, the, the age of the youngest is probably in their 40s and this thing that I'm in, and, uh, and and yet so many of them have reached out to me. So many of them, if we go in there and get a hamburger or something, come on up. And they've treated my wife, who uh, has dementia, and they've treated my wife with respect and love. And uh, I, I share it. Uh, someone said, you're our neighborhood uh, Mr. Rogers is what you are. You're our neighborhood Mr. Rogers. <laughs> And the men in my church, they call me Papa Ed. Yeah. I, and I was pastoring in a blue-collar church. These were men that drove Harleys, you know, and, and uh, semi-trucks and run landscaping businesses and things. And, and uh, I spoke 44 weeks on the life of David as it relates to us. And there wasn't a week that grown men with tattoos on their head you know weren't weeping before god Amen. and that's when i realized that uh, people need connection to love of god and they want it from the people they respect the pastors and their leaders sure you're not getting that touch of god you're in the wrong place that's right that's right you know? you're not going to find that in mormonism no no or any other cult that's and right. sometimes, sadly to say, unfortunately, as I'm witnessing, they're not going to find it in certain churches either. That's right. No. 
and uh, the mainline American churches are in apostasy. Yeah, they I did an article. I think I have it somewhere, uh, and it calls the what did I call it the uh, living the Christian life in a post Christian world. Yeah, yeah. Where I go into this sort of stuff, and actually, uh, Harvest House has asked me to redo the Fast Facts and False Teachings book and bring in at least half of it about what I'm sharing with you today. Yeah. I would be because without to... this, the other stuff is battling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. Uh, I totally agree. I'm telling you, listen, and... I, I want to say this real quick. God, you know, Eric and I had, you know, intentions on strictly talking about Mormonism and your testimony, but I love the way God works. I could talk a little bit now, but the way that the Lord the Holy Spirit directed this conversation. Absolutely. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is going to touch more lives than I would have ever imagined in ways that I could have never imagined. And I'm thankful. I'm very thankful that, you know, the, the Lord used you and is still using you and your ministry. Yes, I could see how it is greater now than it was in the inception of your ministry, because I was going to say that too, Pablo, yeah. listen, you know, you and I, we plan things out. We have our notes, we have our outline. And um, I just felt like we didn't need to do anything, but just a couple of topics we wanted to touch on with Ed, because I knew that God wanted to do something beyond what we had in mind or what we could, what we could try to plan. Amen. Amen. I agree. Hey, it's been fun. You know, this has been uh, great. Yeah. Talking about Jesus is great stuff. You bet. Uh, <laughs> Always. You know, yep. uh, whether it's in an airplane. I mean, I've prayed for people in airplanes who sat next to me and were unfortunate enough to ask me what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the same thing where, you know, people make the unfortunate question there. You know, they, yeah, they uh, make, maybe they don't know what, what they're going to get. Well, I lead people to Jesus is what yeah. I do. Amen. Yep. You know? Amen. And then you find out they have a church background, but they really don't know Christ. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, uh, um, I, I hope and pray that this is not the last time that you would be able to come, because I know you're willing, but be able to come on and share more of Jesus with people, because I know that they would definitely be blessed, as I'm sure they yeah. are when they see this. So, um, Ed, thank you so much. Uh, hey, let me just add, that somebody wants to get on our mailing list where I do share these kinds of things. Uh, it's, it's, it's not any money involved or anything else like that. It's just uh, go to saintsalive.com and uh, sign up for the newsletter. Amen. Um, a lot of it. And my son survived COVID in a hospital in, Cal in uh, uh, Walnut Creek, California. Uh, last two year, a year and a half ago, he got it and he, spent two months in the hospital and they had 50, 40 people that were in there intubated like my son was given medications that were dangerous. Yeah. And out of 40 people, only three lived. Wow. Jason was one of them. And, uh, he, he and his wife have a ministry that reaches out to people with COVID and are suffering from the effects of COVID and loss of loved ones and stuff like that. And he's 
he is that's you know part of what he's bringing to the table with our ministry and they're writing a book about it and he just said dad when i when they came in to hook me up uh I had to get my wife and my children on the phone because I wasn't sure I would ever see them again this side of heaven. And if you're sitting there sick and in a hospital with three or four doctors and nurses around you ready to hook you up and put you out uh, and you're speaking to your loved ones, not knowing if you'll see them on this side of heaven is one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I loosed the Holy Spirit on these people. I prayed to those doctors and I, and I gave it, it to the Lord and when I had finished praying for them and praying for and speaking, he said, I spoke, I said, I speak life to my body and not death. And he said, and the Holy Spirit fill me. And he said, now, okay, hook me up. A month or so later, he came out. He felt the heaviness of the Holy Spirit still laying on him that he felt when he was waiting for him for the, the uh, anesthesia to take over. He said the Holy Spirit was with me the whole time. And of course, his wife and all the church was marching around the hospital, you know, every day, <laughs> anointing it with oil. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people praying for him, too. Amen. Yeah, yep. We got people in, in Europe and uh, Asia and uh, right. Israel praying for him. Amen. But he's got it. He's got the bug. He's got the Jesus bug. Amen. And I yep. pray that many more of us would get that Jesus bug. So. I'm going to go ahead, Ed, and link all of your uh, your website and how they could get a hold of or actually sign up for your newsletter. But um, I can't thank you enough. I really can't. And so, Eric, also, you made the connection, brother. And I'm just, I'm, I'm ever grateful. So thank you so much, Ed. Um, I Let me give you one last thing. Okay, go for it. <laughs> if there are people that are watching this and really need to have someone pray with them, aside from coming to you, taking my son, Jason, would love to pray with you and talk with you. And he has this actual real personal cell phone number on our website. And you can call him anytime, day or night, and he'll be with you. Amen. Okay. Amen. So folks, love you. Uh, take him up on that. Take him up on that. We love you too, Ed. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think uh, there is nothing more to add except to remember that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So, uh, amen. Do you, uh, do you still have my desk? Do I still have Eric? Do I? I almost do mentioned it a minute ago. Desk? I almost huh? mentioned it a minute ago. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that yep. was sort of and, like the mantle, you know. Ed gave me his office desk and uh, I've never lost track of the idea or the, the, the vision of, of him pulling out the wing and signing letters and writing notes to people on it. And um, it's uh, something precious to me. Amen. It's uh, it's too big to wear around my neck as a remembrance, <laughs> but believe me, it, it was is a uh, huge desk. Yeah. It, was a, it really is a huge desk, but we still have it. Yep. Well, um, folks. Well, guys, bless you. Bless you too, and uh, hope to have you on again, Ed. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to be. Excuse my voice. I'm going to be back up in the Seattle area at the end of March. Okay. And I'm planning to never leave again, <laughs> except next <laughs> month, next winter when my wife goes crazy over the weather. Right. 
That's I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope you I guys did. were blessed. I did too. I did too. So until the next time, may the Lord bless you guys. And remember, Amen. keep looking at God bless. Love you guys.